Obviously, Michael had planned on preaching this morning. I I don't know what passage he was going to land in. I don't know the exact direction he was going to go. But I do believe that the Lord has been very kind and gracious to us and that he has a word for us this morning. And this is going to line up with the foundation of what the gospel is and the importance for us to believe in the gospel and the impact that that will make on our lives. So I believe that. That even in, in the midst of brokenness, God is good to us. So, 2 Samuel 9, we're going to read the entire chapter. It's not terribly long, but it'll be worth it. It's one of the most beautiful stories in Scripture. I love this story, and I can't wait to walk through it with you. So, 2 Samuel chapter 9, beginning with verse 1. And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul? that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there still not someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. And the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lodibar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lodibar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear. For I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, what is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, all that belonged to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so will I your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Mekah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. And this is the word of the Lord to which we say, thanks be to God. I know what you're thinking. My parents really do love me because they did not name me Mephibosheth. It's such a beautiful story and a beautiful picture of the kindness of the king. So let's go back just a little bit. David is obviously king. He was not Israel's first king. Saul was Israel's first king. Saul had a son. His name was Jonathan. Jonathan then would have been the crown prince next in line for the throne of Israel. However, God did not choose Jonathan to be the next king. He chose David. 
And in spite of all that, David and Jonathan became incredibly close friends. So close that in 1 Samuel 18, it says that their souls were knit together. And that Jonathan and David loved each other as they loved their own soul. So at this point, at 2 Samuel 9, Saul and, Dave, uh, Saul and Jonathan are both dead. And David has taken the throne. He has been in battles and wars. And you'll see in, in chapter 8 that now all the wars are over. The battles are over. There is peace in the land. And so David, finally, with peace around him, says, is there anyone left in Jonathan's house that I can show kindness to? Why would he do this? Well, in 1 Samuel chapter 20, Jonathan asks David, will you give me your word that when you take the throne, that you will remember me and my family, that you will not forget us, you will not cut us off. And they make a covenant. Now, this is not just a handshake. This is not just, yeah, man, I, I love you. I will do that for you. This is a serious vow, um, a, a spiritual covenant. So in our society today, I guess the thing that would resemble this the most for us, that would give us a, a somewhat of a picture would be a a wedding ceremony. Uh, Walk down the center aisle, just like they would have animals divided in two. They'd walk through the animals, and they would make their covenant. A wedding, you walk down the center aisle, you stay on the platform, you make your covenant. Uh, Both man and wife, I will forsake all others and keep only to you for long as we both shall live. What God has brought together, let man not separate. This is a serious covenant, right? That's what's happening here. David understands the serious nature of this, and he understands, I must keep my word. Regardless of what other people think, regardless of what ramifications may come, I will keep my word. So, David wants to show kindness. This word, kindness, it's more than kind of what we're going to think of being kind. When, when I think of someone being kind, I think, let me open the door for you as you're coming into the church house. Oh, hey, let me help you carry those groceries to your car. Uh, hey, do you want to help me move? Yes, I will help you move, even though you really don't want to help me move. You will be kind, and you will help me move. It's, it's beyond that. So the Hebrew word here is hesed. Now, I'm not going to pronounce it incredibly properly like they would in Hebrew. It's really rough, and I'm just not even going to try it. But hesed is the word that's used here, and it is a deep, deep kindness, a love. It can be translated as grace, as loyalty, as faithfulness, love, mercy, or goodness. There is a, a deepness to this. So... Not always, but often, a covenant like this that is going to involve hesed is going to take place when one member of the relationship is in a position to render help or aid to the other, who is for one reason or another in need or unable to help or aid the other. 
Such help is performed simply because of a deep and enduring relationship between the two covenant partners. The need for hesed is particularly emphasized in situations where its performance is in question, where it seems unnatural, or where circumstances in the future may render it unlikely. This would be a situation where it would seem very unnatural for David to show this this sort of kindness. A few examples. In 1 Kings 15, King Basha takes over the throne, removes everybody from the previous regime. 1 Kings chapter 16, Zimri does the same thing, takes the throne, removes everybody from the previous regime. Jehu, in 2 Kings chapter 10, does the same thing, takes the throne, removes everyone from the previous regime. This is typical. This is expected. We see this trickle down into all parts of our society. Most of you know that I love sports and that I'm originally from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And so I follow this school called LSU. And their football program just went through this. They brought in a new head coach and a clean house. Like, we see this everywhere. It's going to bring in the people that you're comfortable with, the people that you know, from being a king to a ball coach. This is what happens. This is what we would deem as natural or expected. What David does here and what Hesed draws us to do is something that we would typically consider unnatural. So David calls, anybody know if there's anyone left in Jonathan's home that I could show the kindness of God to him? So one of Saul's former servants comes forward, Ziba. Yes, there is. It's a crippled guy. It's Jonathan's son. He's in low D-bar. Mephibosheth gets this call. Hey, the king wants to see you. He's got a pretty good idea of what this means. I can't imagine getting a a call like that, knowing this is probably going to be the end. My family is going to be disposed of. He is going to clean house. He's going to remove everyone from the previous regime, so that there is no future threat to his throne. So I imagine Mephibosheth is saying goodbye to his wife, his son, and his friends, like, I'll go and see the king. When he gets there, what is proposed to him is the complete opposite. And you can understand his response when David says, Mephibosheth, do not fear. I'm going to take care of you. Why would you be concerned with a dead dog such as I? He literally would have thought that about himself. Being crippled, being lame in both feet. And by the way, we know what happened when he was a young boy. um, He was dropped. And it crippled him in both of his feet. And so 
he literally looks at himself that way because that's the way lame people would have been viewed in that society. That they've done something wrong or their ancestors did something wrong and this is a punishment. And it's not. It's not what's happening at all. So even in his brokenness, he is going to be, uh, be in a place to receive something very good and to receive hesed. So he's taken aback by it. He's like, David, nope, nope, Jonathan, you... Uh, are going to have all the land that Saul, your grandfather, had. And you will eat at my table always. You will be protected and provided for. Everything that was his is going to be yours. Ziba, you're going to take care of all this stuff because Mephibosheth can't. He's, he's lame. He can't work the land. going to need somebody to work the land. So you're going to do this for him. Whatever you say, king, that's what I'll do. We know that by David doing this, this could be problematic for him in the future. He is going to invite someone uh, from the, the previous regime into his, into his castle, into his home, and you will be here. He knows he has a young son, even though Mephibosheth may not be the physical threat. He does have a young son, and... In the future, there is that possibility that there might be someone rise up to try and usurp the throne. David is well aware of this. He is an intelligent guy. He knows the possibility of this. But what we see David do, one, he keeps his word, but he disregards that thought. Why in the world is David doing this? How is David doing this? So I've, as I was reading through this and studying this the last few days, this is what I kept coming back to. David has a very strong relationship with God the Father. David understands that he is in his position as king only because God put him there. David hasn't done anything to earn it. David hasn't done anything to deserve it. David was chosen when he was a boy. God chose him. And now he's been on this journey. And David suffered quite a bit. I mean, Saul tried to kill him for such a long time. I mean, he's running for his life, literally running for his life. And I can't imagine you're hiding out in the cave, and it's like, God, you, you chose me to be the king. What is happening? Why is this going on? And all the while, God is preparing him to be the king of Israel. And so he, he walks through this season, so he understands the only reason he is there is because God put him there. And if God doesn't want him there, then God will remove him. That's not on David. That's on the Father. But he has to trust in the Father to be at peace in his spirit and his soul to do what the Father leads him to do. And if we're really honest with ourselves, every single one of us 
is in the same boat. I'm not a king. I don't have subjects that I rule. Well, I kind of do. Preston and Blair. I rule over them. I tell them what to do, and they do it. It was great. Preston unloaded the dishwasher last night. Loaded the dishwasher. It was awesome. So I've got two little subjects. But, I mean, come on, look. I'm not a king. But I can say, with all my heart, the only reason that I am standing on this platform this very moment is because God put me here. Not because of anything I did or anything I said. Because I'm going to tell you something. I feel like and believe I can give a Paul, give Paul a run for his money, and that I'm the chief of all sinners. I don't deserve to be here. I don't deserve the life that I have. The only reason I have it is because God has shown his love and his kindness to me. The only reason we have what we have, the only reason we have the jobs that we have, the only reason that we have the finance that we have, the only reason that we have the health that we have, the security, whatever, you name it. The only reason we exist is because God allows us to exist, because he loves us. Because he loves you and he loves me. And the reason we have what we have is because God has given it to us. David understands this. And because of that, he's able to show a measure of humility that I hope I'll show. The last thing he's worried about is what he has. The thing that he's most worried about is the heart. The thing that he's most worried about is his belief in the Father's goodness. For this is our foundation. It will determine how we act how we treat others. It will determine how we speak about others, how we think, what we do. It will determine who we become. That is the foundation. Belief in the Father, belief in the gospel. And we see this lived out. And it gives us an amazing picture of what kindness is. David offers Jonathan three things. So I'm going to give you a little bit of alliteration here. I just, I don't know. I like it. So here you go. The three P words. David offers Mephibosheth three things in verse 7. Protection, provision, and position. The complete opposite of what should have been offered in any normal setting. To fully appreciate this, we really need to think about where this comes from. Every single one of us, at least in a spiritual sense, is Mephibosheth. 
every single one of us are broken. Every single one of us are in need of help from outside of ourselves. So Mephibosheth was receiving physical assistance. Um, Makir was helping Mephibosheth and his family. Obviously, again, he cannot work the land. He cannot work for himself. He can't provide for his family. He is totally reliant on the hospitality of another individual. Whether we realize it or not, so are we. At least in a spiritual sense. Totally reliant upon someone else. We have no life apart from Jesus. That is the gospel. We can't do anything apart from Christ. So, what do we do then with our brokenness? Mephibosheth falls on his face before the king, and that would be my plea to you, to fall on your face before the king, to humble yourself and say, I am nothing, and you are everything. This is what the scripture tells us. Dennis, I'm going to run through these verses. In John chapter 1, verse 16, for from his fullness we have received grace upon grace. Romans 5, 8, and 10. But if God shows his love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For as while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. 1 John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Romans 8, 17, then Hebrews 9, 15. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. David and Jonathan made a covenant. It made a way for Mephibosheth to be cared for and taken care of. Jesus is our new covenant, the sacrifice. A death has occurred that Jesus lived, died, rose from the grave, and ascended to heaven. This is the gospel. This is our life to which we receive grace upon grace. That we will be called children of God. We are co-heirs with Jesus. An heir has the right to everything that is the Father's. As a co-heir of Christ, everything that is the Father's is ours. We get to stand with Jesus In our brokenness, 
A dead dog such as I cannot take care of myself have been shown grace, has been given life through Jesus. And as a child of God, and if a child, then an heir. So that everything that is the Father's is mine. We are invited to the king's table, just like Mephibosheth was. Mephibosheth became a very wealthy individual, just like that. He has all this land. It will be worked for him. He will be provided for. He will have security. He has nothing now to worry about. Everything he needs, he has. But for you, Mephibosheth, you will not eat at your home. You will eat at my table. Because everything that is mine is yours. When he should have been considered an enemy, everything that's mine is yours. We were enemies. And God said, everything that is mine can be yours because of my son. If you believe in him. If you believe in the gospel. Because this, this is our foundation. This is what gets us through every moment of every day. To see the sun rise or when we sleep. To know that there's nothing to worry about. That God the Father offers you and offers me protection, provision, and position.